Thank you for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast, a show where two buddies watch a Transformers episode from Transformers Generation 1, 1980s classic, and then get together and talk about what they saw. My name is Jersey Drozd. I am a cartoonist and teaching artist, and I am joined by... You are joined by Hoover once again. Once again. This week... As with every week. As with every week. No one else is showing up here. <laughs> not At least not for now. Not until uh, Peter Cullen and Frank Welker demand an interview. Not until season two when people randomly show up all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, not until Perceptor just suddenly appears on the desk and says, like, <laughs> if you need to help with scientific endeavors, call on me. And then I say my name. You ever think about introducing yourself that way? I think I might start having to do that. If you ever need any help with comics, call on me, Jersey. I imagine if you try that stuff in real life, you get a lot of weird looks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves in terms of episodes. We'll get to that one in season two. But right now, we're still... Well, technically, we're halfway to season two already. Okay. Episode eight. There's 13 episodes in this season? Is that right? Well, if, if you don't count more than meets the eye, there's 13, yeah. Ah, so this, this is the halfway point through season one. Mm-hmm. SOS Dinobots, written by Donald F. Glutt. I have a thousand foot up sort of comment to make before we dive in. Rather two. One, we get a new voice actor this episode in the form of Neil Ross. Mm-hmm. And two, there is some really funky dialogue in this one. There is some seriously awkward lines that I'm sure we will cover. As I was listening to it and watching it again, I was like, okay, I think I know what they were going for there, but I'm not sure, and I'll need to confer with Hoover on this. So, <laughs> SOS Dinobots, the first appearance of the Dinobots. Here's the log line. After finding dinosaur bones hidden near their base, the Autobots decide to create mechanical dinosaurs called the Dinobots. How does this one begin? Well, we open on the Ark, as we often do, and the Autobots are discussing whether or not the Decepticons are behind the tremors they're currently experiencing, and Ironhide refers to Rumble by name, mentioning how he likes to make earthquakes. We both have noticed that the Decepticons rarely call the Autobots by name. Like, they often will say, like, oh, too late for you, Autobot, and then they mm-hmm. fire him or whatever. Is it the same for the Autobots, or... I would say it's slightly less the same. I would say the Autobots point them out more often, Mm. but I would think, well, I guess on both sides, they sort of have special powers, but I think the Decepticons' special powers are more offensive in that Mm. they're more for attacking, like, you know, Rumble creates tremors and that sort of thing. So Ironhide associates Rumble with the tremors, um, mm-hmm. Whereas on the Decepticon team, it's like, oh, that's Braun. He's strong, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I would say the Autobots probably do it slightly more than the Decepticons do, but it's it's still sort of a rare thing. It's interesting because, like, we've also sort of facetiously pointed out how, like, parenthetically at the end of every line is tell your parents' kids, buy these exciting mm-hmm. toys. Yeah. But you would think that would mean that they would do the Gardner Fox Justice League kind of writing where everybody would say mm-hmm. each other's name in every line of dialogue just to remind them. But they don't do that in this, right? Like, Rumble, I know you're now available at my local store for nine ninety nine. <laughs> however. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I might recommend Ratchet. 
a very exciting friend of mine. What does he do? He's the medic. Ah, but he likes parties. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was on his file card. Okay, so Ironhide is like he's like I bet Rumble's doing this. It, this is also interesting that like we don't actually see or hear any earthquakes. It's just like it starts with Ironhide talking about earthquakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what happened to Mission. show don't tell, folks? I wonder if something got edited out. But um, yeah, that is as always a strong possibility. So what are they going to do about it? Are they going to sit around and speculate? Not Ironhide. He makes rivers. You know, <laughs> he solves problems. So he he makes something come out of his wrist. Mm-hmm. Well, Spike notices that the tremors are stronger near one of the rock walls of the base. Uh-huh. So Ironhide has a little doohickey come out of his wrist. This time his <laughs> hand doesn't disappear into his arm and something else comes out. This time something just pops out of his wrist. Mm, okay. And he says his sonadar sensors will reveal the cause. Sonadar. It's like yeah. sonar and radar mixed together. It's a portmanteau. <laughs> I think it probably is exactly that. Some writer was like, hey... What if he has sonar and radar? He caught sonadar, and it sound much more high tech and advanced. Now, now, this kind of thing, I do want to say, like, I'm always going to point to the kid logic, and that is like how kids think. You know, mm-hmm. like I, when I was making comic book characters when I was a kid, it'd be like, well, I like lasers, I like flame, so it'd be like laser flame, right? Like, <laughs> it, it's flamesers, flamesers, yeah, that kind of like portmanteauing, like very clumsy portmanteauing. That happens a couple times in this episode. It is it's in in some really strange ways, but I in retrospect i think it reveals something more about the characters that was probably unintended but we'll get to it but yeah here's the first one is the sonadar sensors sonar and radar you put two kinds of sensors together and it becomes that much more impressive (laughs) i want to put x-ray and infrared together to make infra x and now you can see even more with it (laughs) well it doesn't detect any deceptor creeps but it does detect something odd behind the wall and instantly, Sideswipe and Brawn <laughs> immediately get to work, knocking through the rock, exposing a cavern, and the Autobots go inside. Present are Optimus, Sideswipe, Brawn, Ironhide, Jazz, and Wheeljack. <laughs> I like when Brawn, when they finally like break through the wall, he's like, Hey, there's a cavern in here! <laughs> <laughs> Less of the smarmy Brawn and more of the, the dullard Brawn. But yeah, so they go inside. And then Sideswipe remarks... Cybertronic bolt bat. Uh, Did he say bull bat or bolt bat? It's either a bull bat or a bolt bat. Either one. <laughs> My question is, what's that? <laughs> this is another thing that I don't think we've discussed before. I don't think we've discussed this ever, like on or off the podcast. In Gen 1, it appears that there is only one species of creature on the entire planet, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no rats. There's no scraplets on Cybertron in Gen 1, right? Mm-hmm. Are there any other... I mean, like, there's, like, drones and things, but I don't remember seeing any episode. Were there any episodes where there's like, bats or flying animals of any kind? Like, Cybertronic animals? Well, the only thing that really comes to mind is, like, the Dwellers in the Depths Season oh. 3 episode. That's right. And I don't know that that would even really count because they're sort of genetically just like monsters hidden down within the planet. It's not like they're just like 
creatures on the surface or anything like that. They're not, yeah, they're not a native species, right? Like they mm-hmm. they were they were experiments by the Quintessons. So, but I mean, maybe if you include something like beast machines, I'm sure there's like references there, but. I'd rather not include oh. Beast Machines. <laughs> I guess Beast Machines would be considered part of G1 continuity. Technically, yeah. Technically, yes. So, But at this point, it's like, yeah, that's a weird thing for Sideswipe to say. It's like, okay, well, apparently there's other species on Cybertron. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we are giving it about 10 times the amount of thought that Donald <laughs> Duck Glut put into it. That's true. Yeah, well, I'll be a a blankety-blank is like, it's also like an old-timey expression that feels a little Mm -hmm. bit beyond Sideswipe's age, right? That sounds like something that, like, Huffer would say. Right, yeah. It's lines like these that jump out at me as being like, that's an awkward thing to throw in there that feels incongruous. Not to suggest that there was, like, a lot of cohesion between these episodes. There was some. Mm -hmm. But... I mean, there's changes in the writing styles, but like this one jumps out at me as having like a lot of awkward lines, and that's one of them. So, yeah, why is he saying it? Why is he expressing it? And Wheeljack leans down and says, Feels like stone, but they look like the bones of a giant creature. <laughs> now, shame on me, because when I was a kid, I remember thinking, like, Oh, Transformers have a sense of touch. Well, of course they do. Why wouldn't they? Just because they're robots. Like, it didn't occur to me that they would have a sense of touch. Hmm. Yeah, I never really thought about that that way. Yeah, they're, they're, they're robots, so they don't even smell. But of course they can smell. Like, I, I remember like in some of Bob Budiansky's Transformers Universe profiles, like they some of the Autobots and Decepticons were described as having eight senses. Hmm. So why wouldn't, they, why wouldn't they have smell and taste and touch? Because like, that's all good data to get on the, the world around you. Spike points out that they're the fossilized bones of dinosaurs. And the Autobots are all intrigued, and they want to know more. But we don't have time for this Autobot Earth history lesson right now because we cut to an electric plant where a familiar tape deck and a camera are there on the side of a cliff collecting information. Mm-hmm. Oh, but Soundwave and Reflector... They transform, and Reflector insists they get back to base as Megatron awaits their report. And what's their report on? The the, the report is they were watching a guy say, as long as water falls over the Great Falls, the generators will keep producing energy. And then somebody's like, all right, we got the data. (laughs) The tour guide told us everything we need to know. (laughs) Whereas if it were real life, it'd be like, hey, Phyllis. What are we going to do when we get back to the hotel? I think there's a baseball game coming on. It's just like just imagine like the amount of hours of useless information that Soundwave had to sift through until someone yeah. said actually something pertinent and useful. Yeah, that's that's a favor that this television show does for us. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like let's let's skip ahead to the point. I feel like a more modern show would have actually shown Soundwave being bored out of his mind listening to all these mundane conversations. But I don't like chocolate. You're going to like it. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Especially like an R.I.D. <laughs> sort of thing. Where yeah. It'd be like the green-haired girl going on and on about something and Soundwave would be getting bored recording something. And... <laughs> yeah. But no, no, not not in 1984, buddy. They have a very efficient television. <laughs> Reflector sounds strangely excited as he's like, Megatron awaits our report. And then they fly away to the tower that pops out of the water that they can go in to get into the Decepticon base. Because as we're going to discover in this episode, Transformers don't like getting wet. 
<laughs> like, you know, wh why do we have to fly down into the ocean every time when we could just build this little elevator that comes into the sky and gets yeah. us as we come in? But I thought it was kind of funny because Reflector is like hurrying Soundwave back to base because Megatron's yeah. waiting on them. And yeah. as if like Soundwave needs any reminder to be loyal and subservient to Megatron. I mean, of, of all guys. But here right. we see that like Reflector is really into Megatron too. Okay, does Hoover have a theory on this? Mm, not a theory. It's just nice to see a really loyal <laughs> troop who's just there to do a good and efficient job. Yeah. Or is it Reflector trying to say, like, look, I'm a go-getter. I'm even more loyal than Soundwave, and I'm going to show Soundwave that. Like, Soundwave's, like, just about to say it's time to go, but Reflector jumped in front of him and was mm. like, well, let's go. <laughs> 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 like, that guy that your workplace who's, like, when you're doing the task, like, yeah, you do that task. Just to say, like, mm. look, I'm, I'm pushing you around. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he wants to be second, third, and fourth in command. I don't know. <laughs> so the two, three, or four of them fly back to their tower in the sea. And now we go back to the Autobots. And we're back to the Spike and Hound friendship, which this might be the last time, right? It might be. We're going to find out. But uh, it's kind of interesting. Like You just imagine that there was a handful of writers all writing these episodes at once and they're not really conferring on on what they're all doing you know they've all mm -hmm. seen more than meets the eye so they're mm -hmm. all taking it from there and in that way you sort of get this not incongruousness but like it doesn't feel as smooth as it could feel i guess is a way to put that Mm-hmm. yeah so yeah, so it's Spike and Hound in the museum, and Hound is excited because he's like, he's I've never been to an Earth museum. And let's not refrain from talking about the fact that Hound is walking through a museum. It's not just a closed museum. It's not like they rolled up, hey, can you close the museum for an hour or so while I get some holograms? It's like, hey, can I walk around the museum with all these other humans? I mean, just imagine if you lived in a world where the Autobots were real. I mean, they've only been on Earth a few months at this point, mm -hmm. and they're just going to museums now, and the general public is just like, oh, look, it's that Autobot guy. It's, it's like talking sentient robots is now not a big deal after just a couple months. Well, at least not to the guy with the mohawk. <laughs> and we all know mohawk guys are often found in museums, don't we? Well, maybe, but I just I, I what I took from that is that uh, punk rock guys are nonplussed. Like you can you can push anything past them. Like there could mm -hmm. be literally a, a giant military jeep robot and a dragon and a unicorn, you know, and twelve Wookies all stacked on top of each other, and they'll be like, "Wow, that's cool," because <laughs> that's that's basically what his response is, right? Wow, that's awesome. But I, I, again, I think kid logic. That's what I as a kid I would be pretty excited if I saw a walking transformer in a place. So he's there to take holograms of the dinosaur bones. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little concerned because Spike is here alone with Hound. Mm -hmm. And you have to like wonder like how this came about. Are they all just standing around the Autobot base and Hound's like, well, if I go to a museum, I could get some good holograms and we could get some good schematics. And, and Spike's like, Please ask my dad. Please ask my dad. Please ask my dad. And then Hound's like, Spike, you want to go with me to the museum? And he's like, oh, God. And it's like, well, I guess there's no situations in a museum where a Hound could crush my ribs. 
<laughs> I might be safe. <laughs> you're, talking the, you're talking about the time when Han saved Spike from drowning. Yes. Yeah, that's and, my and theory. That, 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 yeah. uh, that friendship ended that day and it ended <laughs> with a few broken ribs. And Yeah. And now Spike just spends his time trying to avoid Hound all the time. I see. So now they're in the museum's taking holograms, and Spike points out what to take a hologram of. There's like all these dinosaur bones and everything, and that's going to somehow uh, tell the Autobots how to build uh, their own robotic dinosaurs. You would think Teletrain 1 would have just as relevant information as could be found in a museum, but okay, I guess he needed to walk through a museum. And Spike's probably like, yeah, Hound, why don't you get some good holograms of the rib cage of the dinosaurs? <laughs> why don't you really note the anatomy and how easily crushed a rib cage could be? Hypothetically, Hound. Hypothetically. So, so in, in your fanon, this is all passive aggression on Spike's part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're going to ask me to go to the museum with you, I'm going to see yeah. if you can maybe pick up what I'm putting down about... Uh, about my crushed ribs that still hurt, by the way. So this this is why with, with Grimlock, it's a design element that his rib cage actually opens up to become like wings on his back rather than become mm. an integral part of his robot form. There you go. Now you're now you're doing Hoover level of fanon. <laughs> Hound takes holograms of the dinosaurs, and then like it's like this really cool transition where it's like the screen flashes, and then we're looking at a scene of actual dinosaurs in the prehistoric past, and it mm-hmm. pulls back, and we see that we're now back at the Autobot base, and they're watching a hologram that Hound made based on those bones. Yes, but it's also confusing because it's like at first, if you're not really paying attention, you're like, oh, all the Autobots are at the museum. But no, yeah. they're back at the Ark. So it's like there's been a transition and it certainly wasn't lampshaded as they usually are with da 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 da. You know, we didn't get yeah. the Autobot yeah. face to the Autobot face. <laughs> it was just like suddenly we're back at the Ark. Yeah. And then also very suddenly, Wheeljack's like, boy, if only we had some dinosaurs working for us. Yeah. And then Ratchet's like, well, we could make some if it's okay with Optimus Prime. Yeah. It's like, I guess they've learned some of their lessons. They've learned to actually stick to military protocol and ask the boss before they do things. Maybe there was like a cut scene where Optimus was just lambasting them all for taking off at a moment's notice and doing all this stuff that is not really aiding their cause in any way. And now they're like, well, maybe we should actually do what Prime says. So maybe we should ask him permission to do things. (laughs) If anybody hasn't picked up on this by now, I will put a lampshade on this. So you can pay attention for these parts of the episodes down the road. But in Hoover's fanon, Optimus is like a abusive father who just wrecks up the house and yells at all of his underlings, right? <laughs> well, with good cause, because none of them are good at their with job. With good cause! Because <laughs> they're all incompetent, and yeah. they're not jets well, who are purple. The, well, I mean, I'm not really <laughs> dissing them for being incompetent or whatever. They're not good at their job because they're not war machines like the Decepticons are. <laughs> but he, he never yells at them. I mean, they should all be working at home goods. That's what they were made for, essentially. <laughs> oh, according to season three uh, history, yes. Yeah, and then you throw uh, them into a war. Why would you expect them to be any good? So he has I'm, yelled I'm just at glad them that once. it's only taken eight episodes for them to learn, <laughs> hey, maybe we should do what the boss says and ask the boss permission <laughs> to do things. And the answer that Optimus gives is really strange. Like, well, 
robot dinosaurs could be useful. <laughs> you have my authorization. And I also like the fact that Wheeljack's not interested in, you know, becoming a better fighter or training the Autobots better. He said, well, maybe we could get someone else to do our job of defeating the Decepticons. Well, that's a perfectly human response, right? That's true. Like, how, how can we make this I, I guess more convenient after for a, us? a certain amount of time with the humans, they're like, hey, why don't we build something to make our life easier? Yep. We could sit around and watch more TV if we had someone to do our jobs. <laughs> that's there's also part of your fanfic is that yeah. wheeljack is just like super hooked on i love lucy he's like oh it's on again but now optimus needs me to like fix another thing <laughs> if only i or he, I, he wants me to go fight those guys again well if only i had some big thugs to go fight for me i could watch i love lucy all i want what's the um, soap opera that the aerial bots watch in season two <laughs> I don't remember. I don't think the they name. ever named it. They don't did they did they actually name it? I think they did because I was it as the kitchen sinks? No, I think you're thinking of a G.I. Joe episode. Oh, dude. I might because, be. Because yeah, in, in the Aerial Bots episode, the line is it's time for dinner. Mom went to go buy new furniture. Right. Dad don't. And then he falls down. <laughs> and then he just pulls back and it's the Aerial Bots saying, Turn it off, I can't stand it. <laughs> oh yeah, you might be right. I don't but think we'll they actually see. name it. We'll which we'll makes it even that, that much more season two. But like we'll that, that scene that we feels even mentioned it. <laughs> yes, everybody forget. Just brace yourselves. There's almost Dadaism in some future episodes of the Transformers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just adult writers having fun. <laughs> so Prime says, You have my authorization, and Huffer, of course, uh, chimes in with his enthusiastic support. It'll never work. Big waste of time. Ah, uh, good old Huffer. One thing we can always <laughs> count on. It'll never work. Big waste of time. So, you know, this is a little word of advice to all Autobots out there. If you ever have a big decision to make in your life and you're trying to navigate the choice, don't go to Huffer. Do not <laughs> do not call on Huffer to help you make sense of the world. Huffer is, is a nihilist all the way down. So, <laughs> so we see Teletran 1 begin beeping and booping with pictures of a Tyrannosaurus, Brontosaurus, and a Triceratops on the screen. And then those pictures are replaced by robotic outlines. It's like, what if we made these dinosaurs more square? Ah, this part looks cool. And then there's a big montage of Autobots working to construct some robot dinosaurs. It's like the first real montage in Transformers history. It is. You're right. It's, it's the way to show work getting done quickly. Back at Decepticon under the sea, Megatron announces that the Great Falls constitute a perpetual power source that will let them destroy <laughs> the Autobots and take over the universe. But Megatron is very sure of his plan, which means Starscream has to pick it apart. <laughs> I suppose you've devised a brilliant plan for seizing it, eh, leader? Affirmative, Starscream. We attack the falls at once. Decepticons, prepare for conquest. 
So it's an interesting dichotomy if you think about like the Huffer reaction to the Autobots and the Starscream reaction to Megatron's plan. It's like they're not really that different. Oh my gosh. Did you just like come up with the premise yeah. for an episode where I, Huffer and Starscream are trapped in a room? I think I did. <laughs> not only not only are we gonna trap Gears and Thundercracker in a cave together, but we're gonna <sighs> trap Huffer and Starscream in a cave together and all all the story possibilities are just flooding my mind. We're not so different, you and me. <laughs> yeah this one time the wheeljack was gonna make dinosaurs and he ended up making dinobots i was like what a big dummy well if i were writing the story it would end with starscream they would warm to each other but then starscream would have to like break it off why not because he's a decepticon and huffer is an autobot but because he realizes that huffer is a defeatist you know all you want to do is tear people down because you don't want to do anything I have ambition, right? <laughs> I'm do I tear people down so I can take their place, you know? Like you don't <laughs> have And he would hate Huffer for not having the courage of his own convictions, which is the problem Starscream has. And that would be like the little irony of of his statement, mm-hmm. right? He'd be really talking about himself as he's criticizing Huffer mm-hmm. while he's accusing Huffer of being something that he thinks he's not. Ugh, what, did, what did you say about Starscream hating uh, Sunstreaker and Sideswipe in the last episode? Yeah, they're aggrandizing, and it's the narcissism of minor differences, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you instantly dislike people who demonstrate a part of your personality that you're not comfortable with, mm. right? And I know I have this problem. I see people who are a lot like me, but just different enough. I'm like, oh, they give me the right. creeps, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. So. Same here. <laughs> So the Decepticon forces fly out to take the dam, and we cut back to the Autobots. And literally, for one of the first times in the show, all the Autobots are present. Not Hauler, of course. He's He's still living it up in the UK. Yeah, He's going to see the Sex Pistols perform and like going to all these great shows. But anyway, (laughs) all the Autobots are there. They're all present and all lined up in a row. And we see this giant pan. I was like... Is this literally everyone? And I counted, and I'm like, well, there's two missing. And then I realized that Wheeljack and Ratchet are on the other side. So it's like, well, Uh. they're clearly there. So everybody is there. So Wheeljack and Ratchet are giving their little presentation, and Windcharger remarks that they should get to the point. So we see that Windcharger is a bit of a grump, unless that line was meant to go to gears. (laughs) There is a whole lot of somebody's talking, and we're going to put the wrong character speaking in the animation in this episode so who knows yeah might have been a line that was meant for gears it might have been or gears or huffer right Mm -hmm. there's a lot of clunky bits in this this episode it's a weird one but yeah when you get to the point and he says autobots meet dinobots and they pan over and we see the three silhouettes take light and they're giant yep here we See the Dinobots Grimlock, Slag, and Sludge. And good old Huffer. He's like, you were supposed to make dinosaurs, not Dinobots. Ah!" (laughs) That's a weird little dig. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, hey, we just made these giant sentient creatures, but that's okay. Go ahead and split hairs and make fun of us. (laughs) What what have you made, Huffer? (laughs) <laughs> really Huffer's totally trolling them <laughs> right <laughs> he's being a bad Twitter citizen uh, 
Did they name them at this point? No, I don't think so. Okay. Okay. But that's who they are. All right. So Hover complains that they were supposed to make dinosaurs, not Dinobots. And then Wheeljack gives a knowing look over to Ratchet. And he orders the Dinobots to transform. And they transform into dinosaur modes. That for you, Huffer. Yeah. Don't don't jump in with your snarky comments <laughs> until you know the full story. Exactly. So let that be a lesson for you interneting kids. <laughs> don't be a Huffer. <laughs> right. We need a little PSA. With- which also sounds like a Nancy Reagan sort of PSA. <laughs> Don't be a huffer. <laughs> Leave the paint cans at home. Maybe that's what they were going for with that name. Anyway, so like he looks at Ratchet and Ratchet says, transform. And they transform and Optimus is like, oh, that's really impressive. But what else can they do? So Wheeljack has them disintegrate all the rubble that they made digging through the caves in their base. Mm-hmm. And that's also animated pretty badly, but that's what they were going for at least. Yeah. And Wheeljack explains that the Dinobots have simple brains, and we cut to Jazz and Hound getting really freaked out. <laughs> that is a weird cut, right? He's like, he's like, well, nobody's perfect. They got little brains like real dinosaurs. And then the Autobots are like, oh, no. <laughs> so either that uh, was cut from later on when the Dinobots start attacking, or they're trying to convey that, uh-oh, it's a Wheeljack creation. These things don't usually go right. Yeah, I don't know. But, okay, so what do you think? Do you have a theory as to why Wheeljack would have made them with simple brains? Well, I think that's the only choice. Because if you think back to us and our Commodore 64s writing uh, simple games, we weren't writing a difficult AI program that's going to have a human level of intelligence. We were writing a program that was like, if a string equals yes, then go to 40. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we can't make things as complex as we are. And granted, it hasn't been introduced yet, but there's no vector sigma here on Earth to right. give life to new creations. So I think the creations that they do make have to be very simple. Mm-hmm. And we'll touch on this again once more new characters are created however i think unless they have like personality components that are stored in teletran one or something i think all they can do is program really simple creations it's not like they could uh have a montage and then look we created hoist you know i don't think they could do Mm -hmm. any of that i don't think that's on their level so i think they had to be dumb I have not heard that explanation before. That's that's good. Because I, I remember as a teenager trying to work out when I was working on the Palladium module for the Transformers. <laughs> and then we were trying to figure out, like, why would the Dinobots be so significantly less intelligent than their cohorts? Mm-hmm. And we were trying to figure out, like, well, maybe just like when you roll your character traits, there's only so far you can go with each character trait. And mm. often ones like you can assign more points to certain skills right so like i want to take this allocation of skill of points and put it towards combat skills mm. well that only leaves you with three points for intelligence now what are you gonna yeah. do right i thought it might be something like that but i like your explanation better because you're right they're trapped on earth there's no vector sigma which we'll learn later on is the the, the device that bestows life and personality to cybertronians mm-hmm. and so wheeljack just doesn't have the know-how so we're looking at this Tyrannosaurus Rex. A is it a Di- Diplodocus or is it a Brontosaurus? He's a Brontosaurus, isn't he? 
Well, I'm no dinosaur expert, but as a kid, I always thought it was a brontosaurus. And then a triceratops Mm -hmm. are walking around, and they start wrecking up the place. (laughs) Yeah. Whoops. So the Dinobots are clearly OP, as the kids say, because, boy, they start wrecking the place, fighting the Autobots. (laughs) It is bad times at the Ark. Doesn't anything stop this guy? (laughs) And then Bumblebee almost gets killed. Yeah, Grimlock heads towards Teletran 1, sensing that it's the most expensive thing in the place, so he's going to go wreck it. These Dinobots are like toddlers on a sugar high. So they're just running around and crashing things and beating up things. And so Grimlock's heading towards Teletran 1, and so their Autobots are like, oh, that's an expensive piece of equipment. It's like when you see your toddler (laughs) running towards the flat screen TV, and you're like, oh. Black Black Friday is like eight months away. (laughs) We cannot replace this TV (laughs) inexpensively. Bumblebee and Spike try to stop him, but they're unable to prevent Grimlock from blowing up Teletran 1. There's a huge explosion. And once we see a huge explosion, we probably know it's time for a commercial break. And then we see the screen goes dark, and then we see Jazz running at us or driving us in car mode, and then he transforms really quick and spins around on his back foot and shoots over his shoulders as the Transformers will return after these messages. And then we learn a little we learn a little bit about constructs, which I'm not that interested in. There's no characters in constructs. But hey, robotics is next, and robotics actually, you know, it's like they put the future in your hands. That sounds like a, a pretty good promise. And finally, we learn a little bit about laser tag, which is like, ooh, geez, is that what the future's going to look like? I mean, I like the silver costumes, but I don't like the gladiatorial combat with a really intense woman yelling at you. Please, can we get back to the episode to find out what happened to Teletran 1? Uh, we didn't learn about Dragon Walker. Maybe next commercial break. <laughs> so here we come back to Grimlock standing in front of a shattered computer screen with Ratchet yep. running in after Bumblebee. And even though he's injured... Bumblebee does manage to lure Grimlock away from Teletran so Ratchet can start that massive repair job. Stand back, kid. I've got work to do. <laughs> <laughs> and then like his hand goes into his arm and then like the little like surgical stuff comes out of his the front of his hand. But I'm sure you want to talk about how brave Bumblebee is for a good 15 minutes, so I'll just go get a drink and you can, <laughs> you can begin your little diatribe. Okay, so let me, let me just frame it up for everybody. Bumblebee is the smallest of the Autobots. He is the spy. He is the most easily killable. Grimlock is a Tyrannosaurus Rex who just beat up all of the strongest Autobots. And so what does Bumblebee do? Does he say, oh, I'm going to go hide behind this thing? Like a lot of us would. A lot of us say, I'm going to hide behind this thing and wait for this to blow over. <laughs> Bumblebee says, hey, come on, Grimlock, try stepping on a bug. And he starts skidding around all over the place. After he just got blown up by Grimlock shooting Teletran 1. So, yes, when Spike says, there goes an Autobot with guts, I was like, you bet. You bet, Spike. That is an Autobot with guts. He is the best. And he's adorable. (laughs) So the fight continues, and Bumblebee successfully at least lures Grimlock out of the expensive living room. (laughs) And the Autobots are continuously getting their butts kicked. And so good old wise Prime, who loves to just like sort of reflect on things and stare into Teletran 1 these days, he gets back in touch with his old John Wayne brash self. So he's like, enough! And we get this. Enough! The Dinobots must be destroyed! 
okay, this is weird to like, like we got to blow them up. Right? Like, <laughs> freedom is the right of all sentient beings. <laughs> Unless you well, wreck my TV. They, they have a freedom to die too. They have a, um, yes. If they want to, if they want to call Jack of Orkian, there's a second Jack of Orkian <laughs> reference in this series. <laughs> then yes, but uh, you know, Optimus said we are going to murder them. <laughs> well, like I said, this is the old John Wayne Optimus coming back. So this isn't this the is weird. Hmm, Optimus, this is not him. This is like they need to die. It, so. it, the other part of this is like they must be destroyed. Is like I I feel like Sideswipe needed to pipe in and say, "What do you think we're trying to do? <laughs> 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 we're doing our best." <laughs> Well, if he was dumb, he would have uh, talked to Optimus in that way in that moment. But uh, yeah, I yeah. think he, he learned his lesson when he said, my rocket pack? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, so then Wheeljack is like, well, wait, let me try something else. Yeah, let and me try something I should have done the second they started attacking. Oh, look, it works. Whoops. He's well, he just like it. Trailbreaker was when they went back to Cybertron. Oh, maybe I should use this uh, handy little special power I have. Oh, look, it worked. Okay, except for the fact that Trailbreaker like made a strong case in e previous episodes that the forest field was like his chief superpower, whereas the magnetic inducer has never been mentioned before. Right? It's like so. <laughs> well, it's, like, it's a very plot-centric device. So why would it have been mentioned before? <laughs> But like he fires it at them, and then they, they sort of like just transform back into robot mode and like slump down like a bunch of mannequins, right? Yeah, <laughs> just sort of fritz out. And despite Wheeljack's pleas, Optimus orders them decommissioned, and the three Dinobots are sealed in the rock cavern, never to be activated ever again. This is so weird. This is such a weird thing to happen. It's like put them, bury them in the basement. This is so non-Autobot. And like the fact that they show that final shot like where you're looking over the Dinobot's shoulders as the Autobots are like sealing the tunnel with laser fire, you know? God, it, it just, everything about this feels off. Well, they're, they're just Commodore 64 programs. You, you can't think of them as sentient beings quite yet. Oh. So what about, what's happening back at the dam? Ah, uh, well, meanwhile, the Decepticons arrive at the dam... And there's some armed guards trying to put up a fight. Thankfully, they're not in hard hats and construction gear. Mm. So they take some shots at the Decepticons, but Skywarp scares them off with a few little laser blasts. He sends them running, and there's literally like a laser like chasing them. It's kind of cute. Yeah. Skywarp having a little fun, almost killing humans. And some some humans are like in another room with a telephone and this is where we hear neil ross's voice for the first time right mm -hmm. he's like we need help in a big way calling teletran one now the fact that he could like pick up a phone and call teletran one that makes the scene with hound in the museum a little more plausible because so like if humans in general just have teletran one's phone number then <laughs> the autobots are well known enough Mm -hmm. That like if you see him at you know like the giant eagle or at uh, you know Seven Eleven, you're not like totally freaked out about it. <laughs> yeah, I can almost imagine there's like been like a wave of let's introduce the Autobots to the world, like the Autobots go on Sally Jesse Raphael and and uh, <laughs> I was gonna say Ricky Lake. <laughs> yeah, they're on Ricky Lake and Donahue. It's like a woman who comes out who claims she had Sideswipe's baby and like oh. all this drama. And there's That'd probably like sad. almost like Ghostbuster style commercials. It's like our giant robots threatening your dam. 
Well, then call <laughs> this number. Here's the number to Teletrion 1. 555 Silas. Call Mech. Well, that's another series altogether. You're blending so, continuities. I know. Don't don't cross the continuities. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so the humans run away, and, and then they call Teletrion 1 for help, but they can't get through. <laughs> They're getting a busy signal. Beep, beep. Because Teletran was blowed up by Grimlock. Mm-hmm. And there's apparently no call forwarding to the little wrist radios in Optimus Prime's hand or anything like that. Yeah. None of them are using Google Voice yet. So Soundwave detects that the little humans inside are in there and he ejects Ravage to deal with them. And Ravage breaks in and he uses some eye lasers to blow up their computer. Mm-hmm. Eye lasers seem very out of place just in general in season one it's, it's almost like a generic thing that the writer said well sure everyone's got eye lasers and so yeah. at any point in season one you could see someone like use eye lasers and then it never happens again yeah it's it's a weird like throwaway it does feel like very arbitrary when they're used it's like wow we've got ravage in here well he can't use his like hip missile it'll blow up the whole room <laughs> you know and we we can't we can't show that on a kids show, so he just like zaps the computer and it's like makes a little explosion. Then Megatron shows up and he lands amid a rainbow effect because he's in front of the falls and the falls are creating little water vapor that hits the sunlight just so. Oh, is that how they work? But it, it looks very cartoony, like there's just almost like a cartoon rainbow in front of Megatron. You cut, sort of halfway expect some My Little Ponies to walk into the screen. So do you think they were going for irony here? Mm, I think they were just trying to draw realistically and somewhat failing. Mm. But in either case, he's standing in front of a rainbow and says, I claim this facility. Yeah. And so the Autobots are still unaware that this is happening. Because Spike is riding around in Hound. Yeah, Teletran can't keep them apprised of all the goings-on anymore since it's blowed up, so Spike is riding around in Hound. Uh-oh. As the pair <laughs> are scanning for Decepticon activity, and Hound's sensors detect the takeover of the dam, and he confirms that it's the Decepticons. He's like, in fact, if you're not quite positive it's the Decepticons, let me create this little hologram of what's going on there. Look! It's Megatron and Starscream just standing there. Clearly, it's the Decepticon. <laughs> so, okay, first of all, Hound does make a, a note here. And like, if we're going to like nitpick some of the, the odd dialogue, let's let's congratulate them for when they're doing things on target, is that they slip in a little line. It's like, well, I enjoy doing this spy work, Spike, because I get to do mm-hmm. some Earth-style sightseeing, you know? Yeah. Reminding us all that Hound loves Earth. I think that's a kind of a cool character trait that I wish they could have done more with Hound that way. Mm-hmm. I want to see a hound and beachcomber trapped in a room story mm. where they talk about John Denver songs and you know, <laughs> the national park system. <laughs> but if he's got Sonadar sensors, he can probably feel out literally like over a great distance what forms are standing in that distance. So then he could use his hologram to actually paint the picture for everybody. Mm-hmm. And maybe, who knows, like maybe there's some sort of find my iPhone sort of device like you know, a computer can find where your iPhone is. Maybe, like, each Decepticon gives off a certain signal. He's like, oh, Megatron's there. Starscream's there. Well, actually, in Beast Wars, which is part of G1 continuity, that is established, that they do have unique energy signatures, right? Mm. 
Like when Megatron's computer is scanning the maximal base in the end of season one, it's like unit tarantulas and black arachnia are in the stasis hold. Mm. Like it can, it can tell who's there and like they could search for Predacon energy, energy signatures. So maybe <laughs> piecing it all together. But then Hound calls Optimus Prime saying like, oh, we found him. And uh, Optimus gives him an estimate on when they're going to be there. <laughs> Says he'll meet him at the falls in 8,000 astroseconds. Which is a pretty small number considering just the last few episodes ago they were saying like three billion astroseconds or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think there's any real consistency to what astroseconds equate to in Earth time. I'm just glad they're using them. (laughs) (laughs) So Optimus orders the Autobots to transform, but then he stops Bumblebee mid-transformation. He says, you stay here and guard the base. Because Wheeljack and Ratchet are clearly too busy to do anything useful other than fix Teletran. Yeah. So back at the dam, the Decepticons are gathering energy from the dam as per usual. And they're making Energon cubes, which they've gone back to them being squished plates. Mm. So that's I think that's another case of there was an original concept. And then they sort of modified it in one episode, but... The writers didn't get that note, and so they're just sort of going with the original version. Yeah. Well, it could have been, like, the board artists, too. Like, these all have different storyboard artists. So, like, mm-hmm. this could have been somebody who was worked on the first three episodes, boarded this scene. It's like, well, that's how they make Energon Cubes. That's yeah. all. So I, I draw it that way. It's been proven that some of these characters have different character designs, and, like, one was meant to replace. Here's mm-hmm. the new version of, say, like, Blue Streak. So, you know, mm-hmm. throw away that old version. And then, like, in some episodes, the old version will get used. That happens mm-hmm. a number of times. So I'm sure the, the Energon cubes are no different, you know, having an original mm-hmm. look. And it's like, no, we decided that cubes should actually be cubes. <laughs> <laughs> and Megatron is congratulating himself on discovering a perpetual power source. And mm-hmm. they're just going to have energy from now until doomsday forever and ever. So he's chatting with Starscream because Starscream is always around because if he wasn't around, he couldn't rain on Megatron's parade. So mm-hmm. here we get a little dialogue between the two. Endless energy, Starscream. Unless we're interrupted by the Autobots. As usual, you underestimate me, Starscream. I have already devised a warm reception for our foes. If they should be foolish enough to... And now here come the Autobots. They arrive on a cliff overlooking the falls. They're doing the little find my iPhone thing, except it's find my greatest adversary in their (laughs) programs, and they're unable to detect any Decepticons. And Blue Streak has this to say. Maybe Hound's got glitch mice in his databanks again. Another really clunky line, like glitch mice in his databanks. Yeah. I get what you're going for there, like bats in the belfry, but glitch mice. Yeah. This feels odd, but thankfully it's also portrayed as odd because we panned a bronze <laughs> sunstreaker sideswipe and showbreaker standing there and they're clearly irked at Blue Yeah, Street they're just smoke. like stoically looking at him as he like starts to, his laugh spins out. Mm-hmm. And Blue Streak's file card did say that he talked a lot, so I can uh, imagine 
that that's sort of the character trait that they're trying to portray here that like oh there's blue streak making jokes and talking about everything as usual and it's never entertaining and they're like Ugh. it's a clumsy scene like it's animated right. in a really weird way and also the line itself just doesn't feel like it's delivering a bad joke right it, mm -hmm. it just is a bad joke does right. that make sense yeah exactly so yeah this one's a little bit rusty and so the megatron pops out yeah yeah they were just hiding behind some walls and stuff so apparently the autobot sensors aren't very good and he gives the order to attack. And we have the typical squaring off and bad animation ensues. Mm -hmm. But soon, Megatron connects his fusion cannon directly to the dam's power output via a long extension cord thing? <laughs> yeah. Okay. He plugs into the back of his cannon. And this is the first time he calls his cannon his fusion cannon, right? I think it is the first time they actually refer to it as such. And he blasts the cliff where the Autobots stood while Rumble bashes at the ground, mm -hmm. causing the cliff to crumble and the Autobots go tumbling down into the raging waters below. And look at this. Megatron was actually like teaming up with Rumble. So that's, right. that's just another little incident of, uh, not that Megatron and Rumble are buddies by any means, but like clearly he respects him and respects his power set. <laughs> Well, he says, ready, Rumble? You know, mm -hmm. he, he, he makes it clear that this is his idea that they work together on this. Mm -hmm. And I know that you have an affinity for whenever Megatron talks with the tapes. Yep. Just <laughs> talks with anyone other than <laughs> yelling at them. Right. I like to see Megatron respecting his troops and not being a tyrant. Yeah. So Spike watches the Autobots fall into the water and flow away down the river. Yeah. You know, getting buffeted around by the raging rapids. And then and, we get our And raging these rapids are, because if you can push, like, these Autobots have got to be, like, over a ton. Easy. Mm -hmm. At least, like, the bigger ones like Optimus. And mm -hmm. yet the water is pushing them down the river. So those are some dangerous rapids. And now that the Autobots are taking a bath, we go back to a commercial. And we're going to learn about Connect Four for Keith, for sure, for fun. <laughs> the name of the game is Connect Four. Gotcha. Four cross. Hmm. One more game. Dragon Walker. Dragon oh, the Dragon Walker. Walker Mom, dragon walker. get me the Dragon Walker. Why do you want that? It doesn't look. It's that's like the most inconvenient vehicle I've ever seen. Yeah, but it, he sits in the head of a dragon, and he can knock a boulder out of the way. Walker vehicle for use with most Masters of the Universe figures. Action figures each sold separately from Mattel. And then maybe maybe uh, Orson Welles will advertise a cool board game that has electronic elements. <laughs> Last night I journeyed backwards in time to the medieval world uh, Dark Tower. Let's just talk about Dragon Walker for just a second. <laughs> just just allow, us, allow us this brief foray into Masters of oh. the Universe. Oh, we're crossing the fandoms. <laughs> it's like Skeletor, you're in trouble as long as you stay directly ahead of me because I can't turn to the left or the right in this thing. Right. So don't veer off 20 degrees to my left because then I won't be able to chase you anymore. But I guess for the time, for a toy from 1984, it sort of is uh, neat to have sort of a 
almost like a remote control car aspect to an action figure line, even if it only goes straight. <laughs> if we ever do a Patreon, I would love to have extra special episodes where we just talk about designing stuff for kids. The fact that you sit in a dragon's head and the dragon's body spins around <laughs> in this cool way and it propels it forward, right? Like the attack track, you play with that toy and there is no way that vehicle could exist in real life. It'd be so brutally inefficient to drive a vehicle that looks like that. But as a child, you're looking at it going like, it's got like a weird gargoyle on the front. It's got guns on the back and these weird turrets and like these giant stomping wheels like are not wheels. They're like shaped like long John donuts. It activates the imagination and that's kind of, and that does tie into the themes that we talk about in this show. Talking about the Transformers is like a lot of this is designed to just make kids say cool. Right. And yes, you want there to be an internal logic to it up to a point. And then you also have like this extra latitude to sort of um, be imaginative and suggestive, you know, and to activate other kids imaginations. So, yeah, the Dragon Walker is a super, super dumb vehicle, but it's also like an incredibly cool vehicle. <laughs> it, it works like the way dreams work, you know, <laughs> that's a nice way to put it. So kids. Go to the link in the show notes to Jersey's Patreon, throw money at him, and he'll talk about dumb 1980s toys for you. <laughs> okay, so come back from commercial break after we've, you know, harangued our parents to go buy us dragon walkers. And, uh, and gotten hungry for Cinnamon Toast Crunch. <laughs> and Bumblebee has arrived. Yeah, Bumblebee shows up at the dam sees Optimus and the others float away and he picks up Spike. He decided to disobey Prime's orders, but thankfully he's there to pick Spike up and take him back to the base. There's a line here. We can't skip over this line because this is a line that I think like it, it seems like you in particular would enjoy is that Bumblebee's like, I don't like to disobey, but I had to do something. I hope Optimus won't be mad. <laughs> <laughs> Bumblebee freshly remembers uh, John Wayne Optimus and how angry he could get, so he doesn't want like that you Optimus cross to him, come back. He'll deactivate you and put, you, put in you in a cave. cave. <laughs> oh, my God. This episode is Flowers in the Attic. Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> uh, you're drawing <sighs> these conclusions that I never drew. <laughs> this episode has always bothered me because of that scene like that scene is so upsetting to me that like he i don't want them anymore well what are we gonna do with them put them in the attic oh my gosh if you had a dog would you just drive it out to the woods too optimus jeez well it, it just corresponds with that george carlin bit which i believe was also from the 80s where they talk about how oh americans they have all this stuff and they just need a place for their stuff then they get oh, yeah. more stuff, so they need a bigger place for their stuff. Yeah. So the Autobots just have like a big cave closet where they just throw the junk they don't want. The extra stuff. We'll throw our Dinobots in there. Okay, so Megatron orders the Autobots retrieved. Mm -hmm. He doesn't trust that the river is going to finish them off. Another awkward line here. He's like, bring in their carcasses so we can prepare them for permanent dysfunction. Yeah. <laughs> dysfunction? Okay, that's weird. Like you, you could just say we're gonna destroy them, but like dysfunctional doesn't mean like. Oh, so we're just gonna like mess with them so they can't work so good anymore. Is that what you're saying, Megatron? Well, I think that at this point, I think they're just looking for different euphemisms for death. It's like we already use destruction. <laughs> we can't say we're gonna kill them. We can't say we're gonna murder them dead. So let's come up with sure, a highfalutin but, way to say it. Let's prepare them for permanent dysfunction. Mm -hmm. 
And then, meanwhile, Bumblebee heads back to the base. We get another awkward line when Bumblebee arrives. Ratchet turns over his shoulders like, Bumblebee, I can't interface with Optimus Prime. I can't interface with Optimus Prime. I can't contact. I can't reach Optimus Prime. I can't get him on the phone. I can't communicate with I can't interface with Optimus Prime? What I a think strange Double Blood line. just got a thesaurus that week, and he was like, look what I can do. <laughs> That's weird. So, and then, yeah, Bumblebee's like, oh, he's, he might already be terminated. But then Spike, because he's the human, and the humans bring hope, and they bring growth, and they challenge the Autobots to be more than they can be, uh, more than they think they could be. And he says, maybe he just can't respond. We have to save them and all of our friends. And Wheeljack has a plan. Yeah, Wheeljack, uh, when he was supposed to be fixing the base, he's come up with these devices to make the Dinobots easier to control. And he decides to reactivate the Dinobots so they can save the others. Now, to continue my theory about the Dinobots essentially being Commodore 64 programs, I think Uh this is sort of where they get the boost and become Mm. sentient beings, at least low-level sentient beings. Okay. So, whereas before, I mean, they didn't talk or anything. They were just like, <laughs> run smash program and things like that. But but now, <laughs> run smash whatever program. these devices comma are, eight, one. they've been in storage or something. I don't know. And they look like they look like a sort of Mentos helmet from the Doom Patrol, right? Mm. It's like this like this weird like ring that goes over the top of their skull. Well, actually goes inside of their skull and it's got like two little antenna things coming out of it. Mm-hmm. Like half donuts with circuitry all over it. And then we get to another awkward line. I think you're right. I think Donald Glut got a thesaurus this one cuz then Bumblebee says, "But Optimus Prime decreed <laughs> that the Dinobots were never to be revived again." He decreed like is, is is he in revolutionary war clothes? <laughs> he 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 ordered us. He said he he even if he declared but decreed that's a weird word. There's so many odd lines in this. I wonder if this was like part of the old okay 1980s cartoons have to teach kids things. So like, what if they said, well, how about we just throw some vocabulary words at them? Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, this this one feels clunky and weird because of those kinds of lines. I can't interface with Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime decreed, and we're going to prepare them for terminal dysfunction or permanent dysfunction. Ugh. But so they puts the, the like the brain upgrades in the Dinobots mm-hmm. and then like he stands back and what happens? Well, the Dinobots awaken and Wheeljack baby talks them and instructs them to save the others. And the Dinobots talk for the first time. So here we are with three new characters. So the Dinobots are Greg Berger as Grimlock, previously heard as Skyfire. Mm-hmm. Neil Ross as Slag, previously heard as Human Number 47. <laughs> yeah. And Frank Welker as Sludge because Frank Welker needs more to do. But I love, I love his Sludge voice, his little baby Sludge voice. Sludge is like this gigantic hulking robot and he's like a gigantic hulking dinosaur but he talks like a sweet baby (laughs) (laughs) maybe we should 
it's one of the things I love about the Transformer series is this kind of playful sort of poetic storytelling where it's like there is little reason they should talk like cave people, mm-hmm. right? Like, or like stereotypical cave people, like what a fifth grader would think a cave person talks like, right? A primitive human. Well, again, I, I would factor that into the fact that there it is impossible without Vector Sigma to create a, yeah. a intelligent level robot. Sure. But I mean, like one could think that, well, if you want to do like basic rudimentary robot speak, maybe it would be something that sounds more akin to Soundwave, right? Something mm. more robotic, more like uh, command acknowledged, right? Like uh, right. Jason the Wild Warriors. But they specifically make them sound like brutal, like proto-human voices, right? Mm-hmm. And one could make the argument like, well, why would they do that? Because that's just like, it's it seems silly. Well, you're just doing it because they're dinosaurs. Yeah, we're just doing it because they're dinosaurs. And we think of like primitive cave people. I know there weren't cave people with dinosaurs. I know that, but this is the Are you sure? Because there was a whole Ringo Starr movie that told us otherwise. <laughs> But it's like I, I, it, it echoes something else that they did in Transformers Animated when the Constructicons show up and they talk like New Jersey construction workers, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, it's a lovely idea that like gives us some extra sense of character in the character. And yes, it's not necessarily realistic, but it's poetic and it's suggestive and it's imaginative. And I'd love anybody who has even had a passing relationship with the original Transformers series at least knows me Grimlock, mm-hmm. right? That's true. It's a very memorable and iconic thing. Yeah. So it, it's not to be, I don't think this is something to be sneered at. I think this is very, like, this is, I wouldn't call it poetic genius, but it's that kind of thing where it's like it's an intuitive thing that writers do that when they hit it, it resonates. And yes, it, it's not realistic, but it's not realistic in the same way that a poem is not realistic. Mm. But anyway, so I love the way the Denobots talk. Yeah. So, Grimlock's like, all right, we'll do as you say for now, and which is that's that's hinting at something to come, <laughs> and they they uh, fly out of the ark. Yep. They they can fly. Yeah, and so can Wheeljack apparently. <laughs> but anyway, the Decepticons back at the dam have the Autobots chained up with some kind of weird Energon chains. Yeah, and the Decepticons are standing before them in a line. At least Megatron, Soundwave, and. Uh, I think Skywarp, Starscream, and Thundercracker, or maybe just two of them. But uh, all I know is that the really goofy line here. <laughs> That's another another really awkward line. Prepare for terminal meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least that sounds cool. I guess. <laughs> so weird. Basically, the Decepticons are here in a firing line, and the Autobots are chained yeah. up, and they're going to shoot the Autobots. So they're just going to yeah execute them. Yeah. Ready, aim. <laughs> but just as the Decepticons are about to fire, the Dinobots arrive with Wheeljack flying through the air. The Dinobots try to figure out who their friends are and who their enemies are. It's one's friends. One's with face like this. Uh, I think that good enough for Slag. <laughs> Oh my god, this line gets me every time. Like I, I've been I'm kind of being rough on some of the dialogue in this, but that line is so adorable. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, very cute. It's super cute. I love Sludge, and I wish they would have done more with Sludge in the series because uh, how sweet and innocent he is, and also like how well he's like sweet but deadly kind of mm. thing, right? Like he's 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 the Lachoi dragon you don't want in your house because he's gonna wreck up the place. <laughs> yeah, he's me, <laughs> but he's so dark. <laughs> sweet but deadly. 
<laughs> Un- unintentionally deadly. So yeah, like, like okay, like Sl- I like how Slag is like, all right, good enough. That's that's what I'm gonna do. I'll shoot at the guys who don't have this red face on them. Now, can we talk a little bit? This scene coming up that we're gonna talk about, like it's it's basically saying, tell your parents, kids, there's exciting new toys. They're even better than the Autobots you already have, right? Like. <laughs> And this is a recurring motif in this series, right? Like Optimus Prime, my cars have a secret, <laughs> <You know? laughs> like coming up in the Thundercons uh, debut. But like it's like that. You, in order to make the commercial viable, you have to constantly introduce new and exciting toys, and you have to feature them on the show as being even better than what came before, right? Mm-hmm. In some way. And in this, it's like very basic. Way more powerful than anybody else you've seen on this show before. Because <laughs> <laughs> like they just show up and they start just messing up all of the Decepticons. <laughs> and Starscream is like, there might be parents who don't know what these toys are called. <laughs> so I'm going to turn to Megatron and I'm going to very slyly wink at him and get him to say... Uh, or at least try to get him to say what these guys are called. You're supposed to know everything. What are those? Scrap metal. Once we finish with them. <laughs> I also like it because it's it's just another way for Starscream to sass at Megatron. It's like, you're supposed to know <laughs> everything. Well, what are those, big dummy? You don't know everything. <laughs> <laughs> but I I love Megatron's retort too. He he's like he's not yeah. wasting any time. He's not he's not like bothering to question it. He says they're scrap metal once we finish with them. Excellent. Yeah. I love that sort of determination and confidence of Megatron. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good line. And then Wheeljack says, speaking of scrap, try this on for size, and he sh- fires something off of his shoulder. Now we get to one of your favorite scenes. You have made so much hay over the 25 years that we've known each other out of this very scene. <laughs> what does he do? Very, he, <sighs> what am I trying to say? Wheeljack has very plot-centric, plot-centric weaponry in this episode. And suddenly he's able to take out Megatron right away. And it's like, have you always had this amazing ability, Wheeljack? It seems like you should have used it before. He has a shell that can make you carsick. <laughs> <laughs> or make you dizzy like you just got off of a roller coaster, right? It takes your inner ear circuits and reprograms them all wrong. <laughs> and so he loses balance, he falls down, and he says... Uh, it's just fun to just randomly outburst my equilibrium but equally funny is starscream's response (laughs) i mean this this is almost a parody of starscream responses itself because i mean there's been time okay like megatron gets sucked in the space bridge to cybertron okay that makes sense Megatron's completely gone. This is the perfect yep. opportunity for me to declare myself leader. 
Megatron's not yep. on Earth anymore. But now we go from that to Megatron literally just fell over. He can't stand up. Therefore, he I fell am the leader down. Of the we can't have a he leader who can't stand down. up. <laughs> uh, man, Starscream is an ableist. Add that to the list of problems with the character. And also, if you pay for paying close attention, this is something that happens a lot in the Transformers and G.I. Joe series is the sound effects people like crib from the Star Wars sound effects bank yeah. a lot of times. And like here, you like clearly hear twice lightsaber noises as Starscream is transforming and taking off and shooting at people. And it's like the sound of the lightsabers clashing, mm. right? So here's the, the showcasing of our exciting new toys, right? Like uh, <laughs> Thundercracker takes on Slag. And Slag just like <laughs> fires at Thundercracker, like he just kind of like bounces out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, the Dinobots are tough cookies. Yeah. Rumble tries to stop Sludge using his mm-hmm. power driver arms, but then Sludge just stomps down on the ground and creates a big crevice in the earth that's heading right towards Rumble. And Rumble falls over, and his power driver arms fall off, and he's like, hey, no fair. Again, portraying Rumble as the little cute guy on the Decepticons team. I like that. Yeah. Skywarp gets caught in midair by Grimlock. <laughs> yeah, Grimlock just like bites his wing. Yeah. <laughs> and then on top of that, he just flings Skywarp into Soundwave. Yeah. So Decepticons are getting their Deceptibutts handed to them. But Megatron finally recovers, and he transforms into gun mode, and he sort of flies up into the air and almost, like, magnetically sticks to the bottom of Starscream. This is a cool-looking moment. Yeah, like, this is, like, there's a lot of weird stuff in this episode, but, like, this is, and there's not a lot of imaginative fighting in this one. Like, I've kind of made, like, a case for, like, early episodes having, like, really cool hand-to-hand combat between Optimus and Megatron where they, like, use the environment in interesting Mm -hmm. ways or, like, reveal some new powers that that you didn't know they had. But, like, this is the closest we get where it's like, oh, Megatron can turn into gun mode and be roughly the size of one of the Decepticons in vehicle mode, Mm -hmm. and he can, like, link up with them. Sort of like, uh, oh, dare I say, mini-cons in Transformers Armada, right? And then Starscream can fly around with this gigantic cannon on his belly, (laughs) firing at everybody. So meanwhile, Wheeljack spots his fellow Autobots' weapons, and he manages to use them very plot-centrically to free the chained (laughs) Autobots. And then the Dinobots blast Megatron which detaches him from Starscream and causes him to fall down to the ground and transform. And now he's faced with both the Dinobots and the newly freed Autobots. He says, you know, forget this, we're outnumbered. So he quickly calls a retreat, and Megatron and his bunch get out of Dodge. And don't forget to call them his bunch. <laughs> Not letting that die. <laughs> And then now we get to Wheeljack and Bumblebee are like, okay, this is the part, Optimus, where you put us in the attic, isn't it? <laughs> Daddy's going to beat us, isn't he? God, this is such an upsetting episode because they literally do. They stand in front of us and they're like, okay, we're ready for our punishment. <laughs> Daddy's going to kill Ralphie. <laughs> yeah, it's just like that. And they're like, whatever. Wheeljack even says, like, whatever punishment you have in mind, we deserve it. What? <laughs> 
And then like Spike shows up. He's like, okay, guys, this is weird. This is like borderline abusive relationship. So I'm going to provide some context to the situation. Jeez. He's like, face it, Optimus. If they hadn't disobeyed, you'd be all goners by now. Those rapids would have taken you way across the country and you would have ended up in the ocean by now. So Logical Prime is back. John Wayne Prime has retreated into his subconsciousness. And so Prime concedes. It's like, eh, you're right. Sometimes even the wisest of men and machines can be in error. I have no reprimand for Wheeljack or Bumblebee. But as for the Dinobots, they have proven their value. The Dinobots shall remain among us. Which, okay, I mean, this premise of Optimus learning something is something that I was complaining that it doesn't happen enough in the series. So I guess I can't, like, fault this. Like, I do love this line, right? Mm -hmm. But I just, the whole business of, like, I won't punish you just makes me feel so uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) It makes you feel so uncomfortable. And I know it's like, it's also like probably, probably Mr. Glut had children and like he was going through discipline with his children. I know discipline's the thing that has to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't have children. Right. I work with children all the time. I teach comics classes and I have had to, you know, like enforce the rules of the classroom in the past. But like this whole business of like standing in front of him and being like, all right, here comes our punishment. You know, just it feels so 1980s, mm-hmm. right? Like it feels like like in the 1980s when like at least at the school I went to, like c- corporal punishment was still a thing, right? Yep. Like you you could get paddled yes. when I was a kid, which in 2019 sounds barbaric. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't like I never thought I would look back on my childhood and be like, that's like Little House in the Prairie kind of savagery, you know, <laughs> like savagery in terms of like just like living conditions. But yeah, like. So it feels like it's up. That feels very of its time. And like when I watch it now as an adult, I'm like, that makes me feel weird. <laughs> um, but at least it ends happily. The Dinobots are going to remain among us. And then the Dinobots transform and all roar with happiness. <laughs> What's that, kids? You haven't collected all 28 of the 1984 lineup? Well, time to dig in mom's purse because the 1985 lineup is on the way. Here's three new toys for you. Yeah. Man, and this is only episode eight. This yep. this has got to be maybe. Uh, well, I think GI Joe probably outnumbers it, considering GI Joe has vehicles and action figures, and Transformers are kind of both True. in one. But man, it's like if you're a fan of this show, you're struggling to keep up. <laughs> because besides this and well, GI Joe, it's like most cartoons. Well, other than Smurfs, of course, only have like mm. a supporting cast of like, well, here's six good guys and here's five or six bad guys. And, you know, that was sort of the status quo and like what writers stuck to because it worked. But now it's like, OK, we're going to introduce 28 characters in this season. It's like, oh, my yeah. God. And keep in mind, we haven't even seen poor little Buzzsaw or Frenzy yet. And they're already right. thrown in the 1985 lineup. <laughs> I, I was trying to think if this matches up to Beast Wars' uh, publishing schedule. Because, like, it was... Was it episode 8 when Tigatron shows up? The first new I want to say figure? it was, like, 7. Okay. So it was... Somewhere in the neighborhood. Kind of around there. Transformers R.I.D. from 2001 is even faster, right? Like, oh, I think the yeah. bullet trains show up in, like, episode 5. But, yeah. Yeah, it's like... This is, in a lot of ways, I feel like the 
antithesis of the the previous episode with Skyfire. Like Skyfire, they introduce a new toy for you to go out and buy, and then be confused about because like that doesn't look like the guy <laughs> right. in the cartoon. But that's a whole other thing. But they showed how Skyfire was better than any of the other previous characters through his character growth and through his inner character, right? Yes, he's bigger and stronger, but that's less important than the choices that he makes in this story, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas the Dinobots show up and it's like, look at them. They're bigger, they're stronger, and they're dinosaurs, right? Yeah. Like they, lead, they, they dust their hands at that. Like that made my case, <laughs> you know? And it feels like this sets the premise for what is to come where we start rolling out new figures and new toys and they really lean on they're bigger they're stronger and they've got a new gimmick right mm -hmm. like that's what we get with devastator that's what we get with the stunticons the aerial bots i feel like the aerial bots there's a little bit more and i feel like there's more promise with some of the later rollouts like with um computron mm. which man I'm going to cry about Computron the same way I do about Chip Chase and Spike, but we'll get to that down the road. But I am fascinated by that constraint as a person who makes comic books because one could easily think that, like, well, now you're hampering my art because you're telling me that I have to constantly come up with stories where I have to roll out these new characters and prove how they're better than the previous generation. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you could just say, wow, look, at they're bigger and stronger, and, and you have to keep upping the ante until you get to Fortress Maximus. Right. <laughs> right? Well, this guy can stand on Earth and see the curvature of the Earth. Right, yeah. Or you could do what they did in Fire in the Sky and say, well, let's introduce a new character, but let's explore how this new character is adding more emotionally to the Autobots as well as physically, right? That is an interesting idea, and that makes the case, I feel, and I don't, I feel like this thread got kind of left on the ground of how they could do it later. I feel like the aerial bots do it a little bit, and we'll get to them, but I feel like this episode is more of the standard of how you roll out new characters. Mm -hmm. an, an exciting battle with bigger and stronger. And we skipped over one thing we left behind us earlier on was one of the other clumsy lines that stood out to me. And it was another portmanteau that I thought was like, oh, that's a weird one. So in, in Transformers the movie, Jazz uses a portmanteau called ginormous, yeah. right? Which is the combination of gigantic and enormous. There's this ginormous, weird looking planet. It's a great line. Hound says, do you see the, do you see the, the falls hound? He's like just up ahead and it's magna spectacular. <laughs> Magnificent and spectacular. Taking a portmanteau of two multiple syllabic words that way, right? Like magnificent, four syllables, spectacular, four syllables. Well, let's blend them together. What could go wrong? That's magna spectacular. Now you got even more syllables. <laughs> They're robots. Like, they can process more syllables than humans. <laughs> and like that, that line always bothered me too. It's like, oh, that's a clumsy word. But then I thought about it like, well, it's hound. Hound's pretty square. And so maybe he heard Jazz say ginormous. He's like, oh, I see. You take two words, you smush them together, and the kids like it. <laughs> so he's like been waiting for this. Like, oh, I'm going to hang out with Spike again. And I love it. I'm going to connect with youth culture. I'm going to be approved that I'm still relevant. And check this out, Spike. It's magna spectacular. And everybody's like, are you trying to make that a thing? Don't make that a thing. <laughs> Which makes me like the line, right? Like, I like imagining that Hound is trying trying to be hip. He's not very good at it. And actually, he doesn't think about it too much after that. Because he's too busy looking at how beautiful trees are. 
So yeah. here we are with the introduction of the Dinobots. Do you have any memories of first seeing the Dinobots in stores or anything along those lines? Um, I don't remember. Well, I didn't get to go. Remember, I grew up in a rural area, so I didn't get to go to the store, or, like <laughs> toy stores very often. No, I'm you serious. Didn't all I, hop I know this, in the this, stagecoach, except for like once every two months to go in, in the town to buy some feed at the local grocery store. I know it totally sounds like that, right? <laughs> the town I grew up in, there was honest and for true. There was a corner store, like a convenience store that wasn't even a gas station. It was, it was called Chuck's corner. And it was like just a, a place where you get like bubble gum and milk, you know? Uh, and like a couple, they had like loaves of bread, like jacked up in price. Mm-hmm. There was there was no gas station. There were two bars and the corner store, and that was it. And then the rest of it was farm fields, as far as you could see. So, and there was I have a lot of brothers and sisters, so my parents didn't really take us on big outings all that often. And so we would only get to go to like say Target or Toys R Us like literally once a year. I mm. mean, it would be around Christmas time. And so that so you want to talk about. Like seeing those toy aisles in the eighties, fully stocked like that. <laughs> like imagine not seeing it all year long, and then like one weekend a year wow. you go and you see that. Yeah. So it was like that. I remember seeing like Starscream in the box for the first time because I really coveted Starscream. You know, I remember seeing you know certain mini bots on the card that I really wanted. Like, oh, there's Power Glide. I really want Power Glide. But um, I don't have a memory of seeing a Dinobot in the box until a neighborhood kid got, I think he got uh, Snarl for Christmas. Mm. And, and I remember him bringing it to school, you know, but I never got, I, I don't have a memory of like actually seeing the Dinobots on display like that because I was sort of drinking in, oh, there's the superpowers section. It was a section <laughs> of superpowers action figures. It wasn't just like one peg. It was like, here's four rows, yep. 10, you know, like 10 high. Here's the Star Wars aisle. Right. <laughs> Here's the literally 3,000 Star Wars action figures you have to pick through to try to find Gamory and Guard. Yeah, yeah. No, but do you? Do you remember which Dinobots you saw? I do, and it's a bone of contention with me because uh, I lived in a city, which Jersey is uh, not familiar with what a city is. Well, just kidding. You got them them buildings what go up. (laughs) Yeah, and it, it was a small city, but it had, like, one of everything. It, it wasn't like a booming metropolis, but, but it, it had enough stores to where I didn't have many problems finding the toys that I was after. And my mom was just sort of a homemaker of the family, and she would be bored during the day while I was at school, so she would just go shopping. So a lot of times I would come home from school... And she would have got me new G.I. Joes because she found characters that she knew I didn't have. And I would be like, oh, excited. But uh, there was one time where I had just gotten, I don't know. I don't know exactly when the Dinobot toys showed up, when in the year that happened. But I'd already seen the cartoon with them and I knew who they Mm -hmm. were, but I hadn't seen them in stores yet. And I had just recently gotten... I don't know if it was Christmas money, birthday money, or what. Probably Christmas money. And uh, so I had some money in reserve, which at that time, I was like, what, seven or so? Was a big deal, because that normally wasn't a thing that happened. So while I was at school one day, I came home, and my mom announced that she saw a new Transformer, and she used my money to get it for me. (gasps) And it was Grimlock. (gasps) So instantly, I'm pulled in two different directions. First direction being, hey, 
cool new Transformer, the leader of the Dinobots, Grimlock. And on the other hand, I was like, you used my money without asking. Yeah, that's weird. Knowing me at the time, I was probably planning to buy Megatron because I always coveted Megatron. I never had him. Of course you did. I remember one time in my neighborhood, I met a kid who had him, but only like one kid in my neighborhood had him. So I only got to play with him like once. And I wanted mm-hmm. Megatron because he was the big bad guy. And even though he kind of looked like poop, I kind <laughs> of still wanted him and didn't let it bother me that much. So usually if I got money, it was sort of going in my useless to buy Megatron fund. And then I had mm-hmm. money. And then I come home from school and I don't have money anymore. So I was kind of like, I was very torn because my instant feeling was, why did you use my money on a Dinobot when I want Megatron? But, you know, I probably was just, well, I definitely wasn't uh, being mature about it as I was seven. But I I probably was a little more angry than I should have been with her buying me something. That's how I got Grimlock. I didn't pick him out, you know. I just came home from school one day and he was he was there and I was suddenly out 15 bucks or whatever. Ah. <laughs> uh, so mixed feelings. I remember at first I was like mad that he was there and I was like mm, I'm not I'm not even going to play with this. I'm going to protest, you know, my 7-year-old <laughs> thinking. I'll show you I won't even enjoy it. Right. But then I, I think after a couple of days I was like, well, he's pretty cool. <laughs> And then I just uh, continued on my quest to get Megatron. Which, by the way, spoiler alert, never happened until like the late 90s or possibly even early 2000s. Oh my gosh. And while I'm on this topic, I also had to watch (laughs) my grandmother buy Megatron for my cousin. Uh. And my cousin was like only tangentially into Transformers. Even worse. Yeah, and I w- this was like maybe maybe a year later, so Megatron was getting harder and harder to find too. So I remember like having a little eight year old outburst, just like you got a Megatron. I don't have Megatron, and she was like, "Well, you get all kinds of toys." And I was like, "Yeah, right. You're correct, but I haven't gotten Megatron." <laughs> so it's like Megatron that is was how little kids that think. always eluded me as a child. Wow. And, you know, here's me, number one Decepticon booster, and I didn't even have Megatron Mm. until I was like 20 or something. Wow. So that's my sad sob story about my introduction to the Dinobots. That's your Thomas and Martha Wayne story that made you the man that you are. (laughs) (laughs) That was the pivotal moment. Maybe not so grim, but... uh... (laughs) And while we're on the topic of Dinobots... I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna throw out an unpopular opinion. Okay. I don't really like the Dinobots. Oh. I mean, I know yeah. they're sort of I wouldn't say universally loved, but a lot of people love Dinobots. They were very popular characters. I mean, and why wouldn't they be? Because di- mm-hmm. little kids I can't think of many little kids who don't love dinosaurs, right? Right. So it's dinosaurs who turn into robots. They they play on the Transformers puzzle principle of a toy that is like a puzzle and an action figure. Everything about that is set to, you know, trigger uh, mm-hmm. the minds of little kids everywhere. And yes, most adults I talk to when we talk about Transformers, a majority of them remember Optimus Prime and Grimlock. Mm-hmm. So, and Starscream. I feel like those are the three characters that everybody remembers. And Soundwave. Oh, True. 
True. Yeah. Star, I would say Starscream, Soundwave, Grimlock, Optimus are like the four characters that get mentioned the most when I talk about Transformers with people who have not stayed, who haven't kept the relationship as uh, alive and intense as, <laughs> say, you or I have. Who aren't complete nerds like us. Well, see, I was trying to find a way to say it without being pejorative. But... <laughs> and I was trying to bring the truth to the podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, I love the Dinobots a lot, and I love them more and more as I age. And Grimlock in particular is a joy. And it, when we get to um, War of the Dinobots in a couple episodes, we can talk more about how my relationship with him changed from when I was 10 to now. Mm. Because I found him to be terribly frightening in that episode. Uh. But we'll get there. What's next for us? What's the next episode? Hoover? Well, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think the Dinobots are okay. I don't hate the Dinobots or anything. I'm not like, ugh, Dinobots. I just think they're kind of like one note. Especially yeah. Grimlock. He's like, oh, a big, lovable, dumb guy. Which is funny because, yep. I mean, <laughs> it's sort of the same The same reason I love a Decepticon <laughs> is the reason I won't like an Autobot. Maybe it's that... Uh, yeah thing you said about differences but uh it's like yeah the narcissism of minor differences yeah, yeah. it's like the traits i love in rumble are just like sort of eye rolling in grimlock mm, interesting well you can expect more of that kind of character analysis in the next episode <laughs> of, tra- of four million years that later kind of unnecessary overexposed over overthought character analysis that's that's our go-to <laughs> that's the very definition of a pop culture podcast over like that's almost a prerequisite right so we'll be back next week with episode nine fire on the mountain hmm, that sounds like fire in the sky hmm we'll we will we'll find out what that means uh next week so spoiler then, alert one of my favorite episodes oh it really is it is yes there's gonna be a lot of hoover joy in this next one mm-hmm. all right so if, if you enjoyed Fire in the Sky and how excited I got about Skyfire, brace yourself. Hoover's going to talk at length about Thundercracker and Skywarp in the next <laughs> time. <laughs> All right. So until next time, I have been Jersey Drozd of 4millionyearslater.com and Jersey Drozd on Instagram. And I'm Hoover. And you can go to the link in the show notes to Jersey's Patreon, throw money at him, mm. and maybe we'll talk more about Dragon Walker and Attack Track and all sorts of fun things. <laughs> throw your money at Jersey. Well, I won't argue. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye, kids. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dash M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 Million Years Later, and you can email us at 4millionyearslater at gmail.com. Visit 4millionyearslater.com, and if you haven't yet, Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works. <laughs>